Welcome to a special bonus episode of Side by Side, a limited podcast series brought to you by U.S. Bank. We'll talk about the gaps that exist socially, economically, and financially, and how they differ based on class, race, and gender. We feel this project is extremely important and wanted to really dig into U.S. Bank's commitment to systemic change from the inside out. Their innovative and long-term approach gives more power to individuals, businesses, and employees to access education, funding, and career growth by changing the process. This is especially important in the NBA because as rookies, we don't really have any financial literacy. And it's great that they are having tough conversations like this one so publicly, so we can all listen and learn from each other. You can follow or subscribe to the series wherever you listen by searching Side by Side with U.S. Bank or visit SideBySideWithUSBank.com. Now, let's roll. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. All right, let's welcome in our guests, Greg and Jared. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us. Uh, Jared, first of all, uh, I, I realized today that uh, you were the very first guest I had on my podcast with Yahoo five years ago, and this is your first time coming back on the podcast, which is insane to that me. That is insane. I mean, you blown up. You've had a lot of big time guests. You've expanded. You've done well, and so now it's time for me to come and uh, spark these ratings a little bit. Jared, for the for the record, I will chime in. I've said many times that we need to have you, and JJ's always been like, "Oh, he'll do it whenever. He'll do it whenever." whenever. And, has, and has not set the date. So just for the one of us has wanted you on for this entire year. For the record, here's the here's the thing with Jared though. I feel like he does a show every other week, it seems like, because every time I get on Twitter or on First Take, like there's some quote from Jared Dudley that's making the rounds and making the news. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get him when he's got some sort of fresh perspective. That's all. That's I, I all. Def, I definitely try to do one or two big podcasts, you know, or, uh, you know, interviews per year. But the thing about it with the Lakers if you do any, I mean, any interview like after practice, it can make headlines because how big, how, whatever the Laker brand is, it is. But usually, if it's you know, a, you know, Yahoo or First Take or ESPN, I try to do that only once a year because too much is too much sometimes. Uh, Greg, you are the chief diversity officer at U.S. Bank, and we are very grateful for your support of this show and for what you guys are trying to do. Can you just? Uh, provide some context for this limited series you're doing with podcasts and, and sort of what U.S. Bank is doing right now. Yeah, thanks, JJ. And it's, it is really a pleasure to be here. And, you know, the work that we're doing is part of, you know, the, you had asked the question when we were starting, we're headquartered here in Minneapolis, which certainly was the home of George Floyd and where George Floyd was killed, was killed last summer. And you know, as a financial institution, um, JJ, it's important for us to, in all of this, you know, reckoning that happened in our country and across the globe last summer, you know, there's so many disparities in our country. And, you know, the racial wealth gap is one that we, as a financial institution, feel like we can have a significant impact in a very positive way on people's lives. Um, the wealth gap is, if you if you think about the median um, household wealth for white families in this country is $170,000. Uh, that number is 17,000 for black families. And the reason that's important is not that it's, it's certainly not a black problem at all, it's an American problem, because that wealth gap actually is a drag on the entire US economy. It impacts every single one of our households. And we think so many of these disparities if we can begin to chip away at some of these things, it actually will bring us closer together as a community and, and help to solve uh, many of the ills that we are affected with. So U.S. Bank is on this notion of creating greater access, JJ, and access to, you know, um, uh, to capital for small businesses, access to great careers um, for people, and, and access to, to wealth in general is something that I think um, for our country is much needed right now. We're going to dig deep into a, a few of these topics here. <clears throat> Jared and I are going to share some stories about our own experiences in the NBA. We'll also talk about Chris Paul and the playoffs. We have a lot to unpack in the show. Um, I, I want to just directly follow up something you just said. Uh, there, there was an article, you were named one of Twin Cities Business Magazine's People of the Year uh, in, in 2020. 
Uh, one, you had a quote that said, the notion of inclusion is the biggest business opportunity that's ever been in front of us. So I want you to just kind of dissect that a little bit and also kind of dispelling the notion about creating opportunity for others doesn't mean we're taking away opportunity from the people that have already have opportunity. Man, that that is such a, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. I think, you know, when you have an asset-based mindset, JJ, you like, you don't, you don't look at these opportunities as a um, as a finite pie, right? I think the notion of inclusion is how do you bake a bigger pie for everybody? The more people that are prospering, the better it is for everybody in our society. The more vi- vibrant communities are good business for everybody. You know, communities that are suffering and in poverty are bad for all of us. And so this notion of inclusion is how do you bring more people and allow more people to participate in the American dream and have prosperity and live in safe neighborhoods? And how do you help small business owners, you know, these small business, micro business owners who are sole proprietorships, who are just trying to figure out how to make it, how do you allow them to have greater access to capital? You know, as a bank, that's something that we think about and we're working on very hard. And so the notion behind it, the short answer to your question is this prosperity is something that we all benefit from and we should all have greater access to. So inclusion is about baking a bigger pie for everybody. This is kind of a question for both of you. Jared, you know, obviously Tommy and I are, are, are two white guys in our 30s. Sorry, Tommy, to blow up your age. But um, <laughs> there, there's been, it seems like in the last two or three years, there's been a, a sort of a huge discussion point about this, uh, this wealth gap, this racial wealth gap. It's not necessarily something that we were acutely aware of at all times, but there's been a, a run of articles. It's all over Twitter at all times. Um, like, were you, Jared, were you aware of that? I guess that's my question for you. And then, and then for you, Greg, um, as an institution, why do you think institutions now are putting more of an emphasis on this instead of five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago? I mean, I'll go first. I mean, uh, for me... Uh, I've had, you know, best of both worlds in the sense of my mom being white, being a lawyer. Uh, she has f- uh, four uh, other sisters are lawyers and judges. So for her, education was everything growing up for me. My dad uh, from North Carolina, raised in the South, from Wilmington, North Carolina, a home of Michael Jordan, uh, eventually had his engineer degree. So I was lucky enough to have both educated uh, when it comes to education of parents. So for me, first thing, but first, my mom always told me, uh, she didn't have enough money for me to go to college. You either have to get a scholarship or have to go to junior college. So for me, once I knew you had an education, once I be able to grew up, go to Boston College and see the difference of they had programs to try to get minorities into these different colleges to give them a chance. And that's, it really starts to me, the education. When you grow up in the, you know, in the inner city and the school system's not as good and you can't keep up and then you can't get into these colleges and get these same opportunities, once you're able to get these kids into Boston College and they had the same opportunity to go to these classes and get these teachers and you get these degrees, now you give yourself on an even, an even playing field. And so for me, education was crucial. Now that I've been able to make it to the NBA and be able to have my kids, my kids are in the best, my, my, my wife uh, went to school for education. So her whole thing is what has the, you know, it's funny, you go to LA here and you look at where Braun lives in Brentwood, it's got one of the worst public school systems. Why is that? Because they want the parents to pay for the high tuition, you know, the 100000 a year to be able to get to private. So ed- I think it all starts for me, education, and we have to do a better job of the inner cities and getting the schools and these teachers more qualified and, 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 the, and the money and the resources to be able to shrink that gap a little bit. Yeah, I, I would I would just follow up, but I, I agree with everything that Jared said. And I think, um, you know, along with the education, the the uh, because they all work together when you think about all of the the i guess the social determinants of of health you know there's what you do for a living every day is important certainly your social relationships are important um do you have healthy relationships your financial health is important your physical health is important and community is important and all of those things work together um they're independent but they're interdependent as well you know, if you don't do, enjoy what you, if you're not physically healthy or financially healthy, it's really hard to come to work every day and be productive. And so all of those things play a, a really um, critical role. And, 
you know, I think to your question, JJ, like this notion of like, how do we, how do we create equal access to opportunity is the whole notion behind, you know, the work that we're trying to do here. And this, this wealth gap is something that if you believe that we are all in community together um, and that as a nation, like our a part of our responsibility is to try to, you know, continue to work towards, you know, a more perfect union, if you will, like we all have a vested interest in, in seeing us um, reach our full potential as a country and certainly as a business. And the reason I think you, you know, to, to get right to your question, the reason I think you've seen businesses lean in more so in the last year or two is because I think people are requiring businesses to take more of a leadership position. I think, you know, people are looking to business leaders in ways that they haven't before. And I think businesses have more of a responsibility to not only their shareholders now, but to help create a better society. And I think people are demanding that of businesses and business leaders. Jared, Jared, besides your, uh, Besides your family, you know, which is obviously fortunate to sort of grow up in an environment like that where they could educate you at, at a young age, were there other things? Did you have teachers? Did you have other things in your life when you were young that helped sort of educate you about some of these dynamics? Oh, man, for sure. I mean, obviously, I have an older brother who's seven and a half years older than me, but definitely different because I always go to private schools. I was public schools throughout my system from third grade to about eighth grade and high school I went to private, but you definitely had uh, AAU coaches because of growing up uh, in San Diego, wanting to play the NBA. And, and then, you know, uh, I went to, I played on an all white, all white team when I was a fourth through six and then seventh and eighth, I played on an all black team. And you see the dynamics of where these different kids grew up at and then how they had to get to practice and their environments of going home. And, you know, and you, it, it was just for me in, in both worlds, you're seeing it, how these kids, their environments and how, you know, when they go to, uh, when they went to high school, the kids that were getting into trouble, like, and that's why I take this all back to, you know, education. It, it's phenomenal. But, and I say, cause LeBron, cause I'm, I'm with them on a daily basis. The I promise school is phenomenal. Like, He's changing those kids' life. All of them are going to college. Like, dude, he, he puts them in, he, he put a school system together where they get the free food, free education, all the best teachers they have to be able to get there. And then eventually gets them to be able to get to college and every single one. So then now you're having 200, 300 kids that are coming every single year, man. So um, yeah, teachers help me, co- uh, high, school, uh, high school coaches, AAU coaches help me. And for me, it was just like, man, at the end of the day, I'm going home to my mom. But at practice, and I, I, you know, you go over your friend's house to spend the night. You see how you see their environment. You see what how it is in the corner of the store by the liquor store, and what these kids have to deal with, man. Is and it's hard to make it out of these areas, man. That's why when these when some of these athletes do, they always try to go back and give back as much as they can, not only resources but financially also. You know, if I could just jump in for one second, I just what Jared talked about, and you know, everything he just talked about is all about access. Right, like what these kids and what we all need is access. If you don't have access to opportunity, then you 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 never have a shot. And I just I just underscore so much of what you just said because when we talk about our program, we talk about access, and our whole program is called the Access Commitment. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to underscore that notion of access and how important it is. I I, I want to just second that because I, I think. The, the benefit that I've seen in my career uh, and in my life, whether it's going to Duke and, and being part of that network, being part of the NBA, meeting uh, politicians, meeting business leaders, ultimately what it all is about is access. And access. I've been able to gain access and Jared has been able to gain access because we can put a, yes. a ball in a hoop. Not everybody can do that. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if, have you seen a... a sort of generation or not a generational but a, but a shift in in mindset in your industry greg when it comes to uh giving more people access to opportunity i.e hiring practices and and trying to make some of these financial in- institutions which have been traditionally white men uh more diverse yeah i i think so and and i think the reason you've seen it um jj is because the financial industry you know, historically, if you really understand the history, the financial services industry has a really terrible history um, with communities of color in particular. And, 
you know, there's a there's a trust gap that is very well earned in communities of color with banks in particular. And it's because of the history, the history of redlining all the way back to the Freedmen's Bank, you know, just example after example of where the institutions themselves um, helped to create and uh, condoned these disparities. And I think this reckoning has been the industry sort of understanding a new sense of responsibility to um, to right some of those wrongs, but to just do the right thing. And, you know, I think this is an industry that's not known for its diversity, but I think you're starting to see that change. Um, there are lots of examples with um, joint efforts that we're involved in at the bank with the Bank Policy Institute. Um, and many elected officials too have, have been, you know, great at sort of helping to collaborate and create new senses of how do we do a better job of, of hiring, which I think is a big part of it. Um, but it's also about how do you as a financial institution make real change in the lives, meaningful change in the lives of real people? Like banks are uniquely positioned to do that. Um, you think about how wealth is transferred in this country. You know, for the one of the most important ways and probably the, the most generational way that wealth gets transferred in this country is through home ownership. You know, banks lend and do mortgages. And so that's a place where we can have real impact. And most people don't understand the difference between of why it's so important to have wealth um, in this country. It's because wealth is about freedom. It's about choice. It's about being healthy in your life. And, you know, there's such a huge disparity in this country of home ownership across, you know, racial lines. Like we have to start to do some things that uh, create some responsibility and and build some foundation around some of these principles of wealth and home ownership is an important place that we're working on as well. Jared, JJ, speaking of institutions with, with the NBA, I mean, you guys are, you know, two of sort of the preeminent veterans of the league. Now you've seen a lot of different, uh, you know, rules and, and guys come and go and everything like that. How do you think the league has changed in terms of financial literacy for the players uh, on like a, on an overall level? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I still think it's there's a huge gap. I mean, the NBA. I mean, obviously, you've happened with George Floyd and us when it came to Milwaukee, even in the bubble situation where we stopped playing for those couple days and kind of try to give more guidelines of of holding these owners to the fire a little bit. These these are billionaires that have a lot of uh, diversity in this basketball when it comes to different players. It's not all owners. It's a lot of phenomenal owners that do a lot for their communities and stuff like that. But um, we saw them uh, come together when it comes to the, the more than a vote and open up their arenas. But, I mean, it, it's different – to be proactive than someone coming to you. And I'm not trying to say we force, but there's a bigger difference. And this is be honest, like you're dealing with people that were raised differently. We all were different. We all, we all raised differently. And so for us to be able to have that, it's, it's, it's to have a conversation is to be able to have a seat at the table to talk about it and to see what's the real problem. How do we make change? I mean, we could talk about it here. We can put this stuff together. Like, how do we get the meetings with the politicians like JJ, the, the access that we keep talking about, to have the, the meetings with the uh, the police chiefs and stuff like that. And so I think the NBA is it's in the beginning stages, in my opinion, of starting this. And I think it, I think the George Floyd situation was a huge thing that it started with. I thought the Milwaukee, and I think it's now players, uh, not, just, not just headed by LeBron, a lot of people in that bubble spoke up were, players are now ready to be at the forefront to uh, demand change and to put owners on notice that, hey, listen, um, we're not just here just to be a puppet. We're here to, uh, it's bigger than basketball. So that, in my opinion, it's, just, it's, it's now just starting. I wanted to ask Jared about this a little bit, just in terms of the, the difference he's seen in the role of the modern athlete. And Jared's a year behind me in the NBA. I, I came in the league in 06. Jared was in the 2007 draft. Um, but certainly in my career and in your career, we've seen a, a huge shift in in what the athlete's role is. Uh, to to sort of answer Tommy's question in a different way, uh, in regards to the financial literacy component, uh, our our union I think has done a a, a, a much better job uh, post Billy Hunter since we've had Michelle Roberts in place of providing educational opportunities. You know, we we've got the the Harvard business class that we can take second semester. Um, there's real estate symposiums in the summer. There's tech summits in the summer. Um, 
I think the union, our union, not the league, but our union, uh, has done a good job of trying to put players in a position to have that access to different things we want. I would. I also want to ask Jared, dude. I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like there was a shift sometime around that that documentary on ESPN that came out, the broke documentary. Yeah, too, huge. Too, too. Like it was yeah. the first time where post that documentary guys were more willing to talk about their finances with each other so i think that's the second component of financial literacy is helping each other like cp and i were exchanging decks the other day on investments like you know i think i'm sure you've got some stuff that you've got with braun or whomever but like i i think we as a group are starting to look out for each other more and i i know this sounds silly but when that movie came out it was like oh guys we, we got to talk about this we got to talk about this and I'll give NBA props. The NBA called the PA, and when that thirty for thirty came out for broke, it's like, yo, we gotta, we gotta figure something out. And that's when they came up with that annuity where you could put the ten percent, where, where they would match it. They, they wouldn't match it, but it, it would be at least guaranteed. I think like five percent increase instead of you know having that. Um, no, that was man, that was huge. They put in where I mean now nowadays I will give the NBA and PA props is if you go broke, you're basically an idiot as a player now. The, the best 401k in the world matches you 110%. 140, have, 140, but 140? 140. That's pretty good. Oh my good. I gotta got call my finance advisor after this. Right. So Somebody owe you 30%, Jared. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they got they got the annuity where basically it's like one percent of what they make of revenue. They basically put in about 150 every year goes up. I think it was 150, 175,000 each year. It goes up once you're done. Once you're retired, either at the age 30 you receive it, or one year after retire. So for me, if I'm 36, from 37 to 50, it's the bridge gap to get you to your pension at 50. Then your 50 gives your pension to the 401k. They've done a phenomenal job with that. Um, and, and it started after that 30 for 30 broke. You are 100% correct. And the conversations, hey, I'm on the bus and plane. I talk about it like, hey, the biggest thing about players going broke, divorce and baby mamas. That's the first thing. Those are the first two I talk to them. That's the thing. And then after that, it's dealing with your family. I've had numerous players I've talked to of, Hey, uh, players having to give 10,000 to their mom each month, 10,000 to their dad. Listen, you're not going to make it. Mom, you got, you got to tell mom no. LeBron told me a story first time he told his mom no. We, we have these stories of that time. You know, Chris Paul having a conversation about having it with his brother. Like, we've had numerous stories of different players of, and these young players that are 19, because they're coming in younger now. We, you and me were three, four years. They're coming in 19, being the yeah. breadwinner. Come on, man. How, how do you expect a, a, a young black male 19? with millions of dollars to be able to succeed if you don't have these people like us helping out. It's the value of veteran leadership. It's the value of veteran leadership. They trying to boot us out the league. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right about that. The the, the power of the athlete, um, social media has changed the platform where we don't need ESPN or Fox sports. Like we, we, you send something out on Twitter. Boom. I remember I just saw your, I just, not, your comment that you made about, I think it was a tweet you had out about if you were in college about getting, <laughs> getting paid and buying polos, Lacoste. like listen, like the power of, we don't yeah. need media as much anymore. And I, I just think the, the amount of money we make now, the amount of that, and, and we're willing now to stand up and talk. I mean, Kobe's, the Shaq's, the Iversons. I just think that our generation of the LeBrons, the Steph Curry's, I mean, Steph Curry does Zooms with Obama. Like, come on, <laughs> come on man. I think what it comes, and, and I want to get, you know, Greg and, and Tommy, feel free to chime in on this as well. I, I, the shift to me in the mindset is 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 ownership. I think LeBron has embodied this more than anything. Yep. I remember 10 years ago, him and Rich and Maverick would do these deals with these companies and they wouldn't do the deal unless they got equity in the company. Mm. It wasn't just about signing an endorsement deal. It was about the opportunity to own. And the the the, the third component to what Jared was just talking about, the salaries are so high right now. Like I was thinking about, I, I had a teammate this past, two teammates really this past year. Both these guys will probably, you know, barring injury, they will make... $500 million in salary before they turned 30. Easily. And so I think, I don't know what the valuations of these franchises are going to be, but I think you're going to see, you know, in five to 10 years, 
a a a jump in the amount of maybe not primary owners or, or you know whatever, but I think you're going to see a lot of athletes being able to buy into franchises, i.e., Derek Jeter. I know LeBron will do it. That's a Easy. fact, right? Um, and and it, but it, it that's that that's a that's a through down. I mean, we could talk about this podcast when Tommy and I elect, elected to leave the Ringer. It came down to can we own our own podcast, yep. and that's why we left. It was nothing acrimonious with the Ringer or anything that they did. They just they wouldn't allow us to own it. And we wanted to own the own the entity. And, and you know what? I would give a lot of credit to that too, um, JJ. I think certainly all those examples are really good ones. But I also like generationally, I think hip hop had a lot to do with that too, because you find in that culture, like so much of the culture was about, you know, having ownership, whether it was owning your label, owning your masters, and I think that translated into. So it, entertainment more broadly, and I think many of the athletes like LeBron and others sort of picked up on this notion of, wait a minute, like I actually have, like I actually know my value, I actually know my worth, you know, to the league or to the industry. And it goes back to the question that you asked in, around, you know, inclusion being the business growth, like having, you know, folks like yourselves, you and Jared involved and other athletes involved in ownership, it just makes the whole industry bigger and better. Like it just makes it just it expands the pie for everybody. It's like what Tiger Woods did for golf. It was great that Tiger was, you know, the best golfer of his generation, but the fact that he was a person of color made him even more interesting. And it brought more people into the sport and it made the sport bigger for everybody. And so this notion of inclusion and like how do you we should be encouraging more of that. And I you know, I think about this uh, education again, Jared, to your point earlier, like how do we make sure that, you know, all of us and our kids are getting these lessons earlier in life. I think about this, this, uh, this FinTech called Goal Setter, which is um, owned by a young black woman out of Brooklyn. And she created this FinTech app that actually helps families and kids, you know, sort of lean into financial education earlier and teaching kids earlier. And so, these 19-year-olds, Jared, that you'd refer to coming into the league, if they haven't gotten it in, you know, they're not teaching you about credit in school. They're not teaching you about budgeting in school. They don't teach you any of that stuff in school. You know, the stuff that you could really use in life. And so you've got to find these other avenues. And, you know, Goal Setter is a, is a fintech that we invested in um, because we think it's important that, you know, kids, even younger, start to understand, you know, these notions of financial education uh, much sooner. Join us to hear more conversations like this by following or subscribing to the Side by Side with U.S. Bank Limited series. They've partnered up with some really amazing shows to discuss financial literacy, humanity in business, and more. While we were recording, I have to say one of the coolest things we learned about U.S. Bank on their approach to equality was that they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. They've been named one of the most ethical companies, not just banks, for seven years in a row and they've made a $116 million commitment focused on diverse businesses. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Greg and Jared. U.S. Bank, we'll get there together. Jared, do you look back at your early NBA life and think to yourself, man, I wasted a few bucks. I wasted a few bucks just because either you didn't know what to do with your money, not necessarily bad investments, but just like, I, re- I mean, I can, I can speak to this, like my first couple endorsement checks that I got after Duke, you know, before the draft, like I went to Banana Republic and went on a shopping spree. Banana Republic on a shopping spree. Man, listen, if anyone knows me, see me, my rookie year, I bought some diamond earrings, a, a, a diamond chain with a cross, a, a diamond watch, and a diamond bracelet. For no reason. I had it for one year. I had about 100%. I'm like, this is not even me. Got rid of it. They got, I mean, I was buying stupid stuff. Yeah, that's my, I remember that. But I will say this. And like I said, lucky me, my mom had me on a budget. I I, I had the whole thing. Most of these kids don't have that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, you get an agent, right? And so the agent has it. And, and you know, we, we know this now. You want to diversify. You want someone looking at your agent, someone looking at your taxes, someone on, like, you're going to have four or five people looking at it where most of these kids come in. Your mom, their mom is usually helping them out. Are they educated enough to be able to understand that? Are they paying their taxes on their time? Are they taking the money out? Like, when are you supposed to do it? And like, the average career is three years. These kids are coming out of school early. 
I, 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 I mean, the draft class, there's only what, 60 something kids getting drafted and there's three, 400 entering the draft every year, 500 kids entering it. They can't go back to school. I mean, it'd be different if you can go back and get your education. Now they, they go overseas in the G League, they're, 20, they're 21, 22, no job. They didn't get their degree and now they're stuck. And so now we, we got to get into that system. You know what I'm saying? We, so we, it, it's easy for, like you said, access to LeBron, the hip hop. He can talk to Jay-Z. He can call Kevin yeah. Hart, get an investment. But what, what about these other people? And so that's where I'm more looking for is like, hey, like, how do we help these kids to be able to maybe work with the NCAA? If they, if they don't get drafted, let them go back and get their education. Maybe they can't play. Like, let them be able to do that. And so um, there's a lot of stuff to unravel, man. There's a lot of stuff to get to it, man. And so hopefully with the access and the connections, we can make it eventually. We can you know, start that process. You you brought up the name image like this tweet that I had last yes. week. The, the basic tweet, Greg, I don't know if you saw this. I know Tommy did. Was it Basically, I said, I'm going to go look for it now. <laughs> from 2004 to 2006, I would have made a bag at Duke oh from, from name image likeness. Sadly, I would have blown all the money on Natty Light and Lacoste Polos, <laughs> which is true. I would have blown all the money because as somebody said to me, well, you, you buy a polo and, and a case of beer, that's like 47 bucks. Like, where'd the rest of the money go? And I said, Natty Light for the homies. I'm naturally a generous person. So I'm probably going to I'm probably going to buy the, the, the guys on the team. My guys like I got to buy them polos. I got I got to buy them Natty Light like. <laughs> um, but this is we, we we're going to open a Pandora's box over the next few years. So you've got overtime elite, which is paying kids. You've got the G League elite, which is paying kids half a million. And you've got name image likeness in college. And if you're if you're in the NBA, I, I believe this, if you're in the NBA and you want it, there are the, uh, the 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 support infrastructure in place to educate you and get you with the right people and make sure you're doing things the right way. I don't know that those systems exist in those other three areas. And there is, I, there is, I think, a concern. And so you both have talked about this, and Tommy and I have talked about this before on the, on the, on the show, but you know, how, how are we going to go about educating this next generation of player at such a young age? And that's, that, to me, is a real challenge. I think that's a challenge for all of us. I think it's a challenge for our educational system and, uh, you know, dare I say, for, you know, for all of us who are you know, consider ourselves responsible out here in, in these communities that we, you know, do whatever we can to reach these kids earlier through our community organizations, through our companies to to help these kids understand the importance of just basic financial management and wealth building, you know, to defer that, you know, as Jared talked about buying that, that watch, there's a difference between being rich and having wealth, as we all know. And I think getting these kids to understand, like, just because you got that check, you know, that's not wealth, you know, and wealth is about having freedom in this. I, hopefully because of, you know, the groundwork that many of the people that you guys mentioned earlier and yourselves, that there are enough people who have sort of made enough mistakes that they're willing to go back and help educate the next generation to say, Hey, you know, like you don't need that watch right now. You know, it's better, like, make sure that you have, that you own a home, that you have ownership. You don't need that car. That's one of the worst investments you can make is to buy like a brand, a brand new car. Like it's a depreciating asset. And except, so, except right now, except, except right, now. right now. For, for, for some reason, <laughs> Toyota Tacomas used are selling over sticker price. Okay. I, yeah. a, I had to throw that in there. I had to throw you that know, in there. None of these ads are going to buy that used Tacoma. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 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 true. It's true. Uh Jared, I you know, you're 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 in year 14. You just finished year 14. Uh we got to give a little bit of a shout out for your last year. You know, you you win a chip. Um you get to play in LA. Uh you were in Paris the other day. Oh, like, are, man. you are living No, you I'm are living, living your best life. You are living your best I'm, life. It's why I tell people I deserve this. I'm going to tell you why. I deserve this. <laughs> I deserve this. For one, and JJ, you know, boy, you got to put that work in. I went four years to BC, end up being player of the year. I was a first round pick, but I was in, at this time, you were, tw- I was a tweener. I was a three, four, and that was considered negative back then. Now it's, the, you know, you want tweeners, people to play in multiple positions. I wasn't a three point shooter. I had to develop that when I go to, when I go to the, uh, when I get traded to Phoenix, I put my time in. 
I, get, I go to the Clippers, have a bad season, get traded to Milwaukee, and then that's the transformation of my, as you guys have said, the access of for me is I'm 30 years old. I'm the oldest on the team. Giannis is 19. I'm helping develop Milwaukee and the Chris Middletons of the world. And now I become the vet the old, at 30, the oldest. Go to the, I go to the Wizards. Uh, Bradley Bill and John Wall have with them go back to Phoenix sign my big contract I got Devin Booker I'm mentoring Devin Booker so for me it was uh, putting that time in mentoring so now I, on my last couple of years from Brooklyn now the Lakers I wanted to go home I'm from San Diego I wanted to play with LeBron I wanted to play uh, I went to Boston College I never got to go to a big school I didn't get to go to a, 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 a big program. And so when the Laker brand, it's been phenomenal to win it. I know it was the bubble, so it didn't have the same feeling of having fans and stuff like that. But being here and, and now being on a team that values what you do, even though it's not on the court, when it's in the locker room, when it's in the weight room, when it's uh, in film sessions and having older guys like Anthony Davis being tentative, because you know, JJ, you might go play on some of these teams, these young guys that make a lot of money, they don't want to listen, they got this, they might be yelling at the coach. To be on a good team and actually everyone having a mindset of wanting to win and to have that to listen to you, to me, it's like setting me, setting myself up for the next career and it's been phenomenal and there's a little extra perks that come up with the job. <laughs> I do have to follow up on something Jared just said in, in terms of his value, because Jared does this a lot, but he he claps back at fans on Twitter when people question I've him. Stop I've stop no, Jared, Jared, there was a good three or four years where I saw a tweet every I week. I um, was. No, I won't. But can you just can you explain like to to the average fan who doesn't see you on the court in the rotation for the last couple of years? You have incredible value. What is that value? I know what it is, but can you just explain yeah. that? First thing first, you can only play, let's realistically, eight to 10 guys on a, on a consistent basis. So 10 through 11 through 15 are not going to play. You're going to be a practice guy. And what are your values? So either 11 through 15, you're either a young guy, either a first round pick that can't play on a good team, or you're trying to find yourself in this league, uh, Cameron Payne, who you're a third or fourth option. You're not going to hear me complain to the uh, to the coach about that. He, he has to already worry about nine or ten personalities. So now you have a guy like LeBron, right? Certain people are intimidated by him uh, when it comes to either coaching staff, when it comes to ownership, when it comes to players of what to say, what not to say. When it goes to the film, when we watch film and the coaches are talking about film, they're at least two to three times every film session, I will call somebody out of what they're doing wrong. If it's AD, if it's Braun, if it's KCP, because I want everyone to know that we are, our, our, our goal is a championship. So there can't be one player that we you know pick on or not. That's not how it's going to be on this type of a team. So for me, it's a hey, AD. You can't be lazy right here. You have to be able to get the ball side to side, or you have to run the lane to open up a three point shot. And if you do that in September and October, once the playoffs hit, they already know, Hey, Jerry, what do you see out there? I'm like, Hey, you're guarding Draymond. You can't play with the ball with Draymond. Go right away because he, he's got good hands and you know he's going to – and so it's letting him understand or don't even, don't even try to post him up. Set the screen. They're going to switch. And so when it comes to that – and then it's now, as you would know, the camaraderie. And this is why I excel in the camaraderie. I'm going to be on the gambling table. I'm going to gamble with the guys. Every team I've been on, I'm gambling with you. So if I can gamble with you, take your money, you take my money, we laugh it off. We go drink some wine, go have a beer. Now, during the game, I could curse at you. And you're not gonna get mad. You're not gonna be sensitive to me. What the hell are you doing? No, man. You know you're not supposed to be doing that. Joe Smoke can't do that. The twelfth, thirteenth man. That is a very small percentage of people that can say that to those guys. The James Jones, who's now a GM. The Jawan Howard, who's now one of the head coaches. The David West, it's, it's a small percentage of people. So you have that to be able to hang out with you. To, you know, me, you know, JJ, our wives, you and me have gone out to eat to dinners before. Like, if I tell you, JJ, come on, bro, you know you can't do that on, on the pick and roll. Like, you're not going to take it as a fence of someone that. And so my value is basically being another coach, but another coach can't be in that locker room. He can't be on that bus. He'd be in dinners with us, and it's a and it's a select few, and that's why it's a very rare thing, and that's why my, that's why I get paid these minimums over and over and over, and you guys will be mad when it happens again. <laughs> but 
Well, Jared, we were we talked about this. We talked about this with Channing Fry uh, a couple months ago, but we've talked about it with a bunch of different guys over the last few months, just about about the value of glue guys on winning teams like this, and how every if you basically look at every championship team over the last twenty years, uh, no matter the circumstances, they all had two to three people like this who didn't necessarily play all the time, but they were there to bring everybody together. Is that something before going back to when you were younger, you know, when you were, your career was a different place. Did you have guys that were like that, you know, that you learned from, or is this something that was just sort of a natural thing? You were always that personality. I've always been that personality has been natural, but even when I, you know, with playing, let's say guys like Jason Richardson, Grant Hill, teaching me how to be a pro on and off the court, how to take care of your body of, they were just, you know, I, I, I had Grant Hill and I had Shaq. I, I, I get to see how they both act. I, I know I'm not going to be as, as good as Shaq. I know I can't say what Shaq says. How, how do you be Grant Hill? Like, how, how, did he, how does he treat the trainers? How does he treat the equipment guy of holding respect? How, how is he respected? Or, or guys out that don't say a lot, when they do talk, why do they listen to them? Because they're in the weight room every day. They don't be slacking, you know? And so for me, it's, it was just a natural ability, but I also saw the writing on the wall. Like, how do you prolong your career? How do you bring value when you can't bring value on the court? Why do people want to have you in a locker room? That's why someone like Vince Carter, Vince Carter could have not played. The reason why he played three, four more extra years is they wanted him in that locker room for Atlanta. It wasn't because, hey, he could help contribute and get him to the playoffs 20, 30 points. He was still a decent player. It's because Grant Hill wanted him in that locker room in Atlanta to help out Trey Young, to help develop him. And now look at Trey. It just takes a while. And that's the same thing with financially. Like, or, or, or J.J. knows – I don't care what championship team. When we won the championship, we lost four games in a row. You don't think there's players complaining, oh, why didn't coach doing this? But you need a vet like, yo, relax. Steve Nash always t- told me, never get too high on wins, never get too low on losses. Like, you have to be even keeled. This business is so up and down. You got to have guys to keep it, keep it level. Jared touched on something really cool, though. I mean, because, like, you talked about trust and how important that is in a locker room and, you know, what you're building is trust. And I think that's so important in any organization or on any team, you know, that you have this trust that you can, you know, say what needs to be said to um, whoever. So I just wanted to underscore that because I thought it was such a really important point. I would assume what we're talking about, the, the, what do we call them, Tommy with Channing? They're the the connectors, 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 the the bridges, the the glue guy. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would under, uh, probably say in, in any sort of office setting, in any business setting, in any team setting, Greg, that you've seen that throughout your career. Maybe you're, maybe you're that guy. I don't know. I, but, but you've seen those, those connectors within an office. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like everything else. I think it's so important, like to what we're talking about because an office setting is also a team and everybody's got a role to play and you have, you know, people who are, you know, maybe more creative. You have those who are maybe more of the people person, you have your introverts and your extra extroverts. And I think like, that's, what's so cool about, you know, any work setting, it's all about like, how do you show up as your best self? Like, how do you, like we all have a role. Everybody can't be Bron, right? And so everybody has a role. And that's true in the workplace too. It's like, you know, showing up as your authentic self. Like, what do you uniquely bring to the situation that nobody else can do? Like, that's important on any team in any team environment. And but you first have to have the understanding of what your strengths are and like how do I find a place where I can be my best self? And I'm not trying to be that other person, but let, let me just do what I do really, really well. And how does that contribute to the whole? I think if you, if you have the right mix of people and those people are all encouraged and uh, empowered to star in their role, that's ultimately, ultimately how you build a great team. By the way, Tommy, I can attest to Jared always being the same to your question to him. Uh, Jared and I tried out for the 2005 in the U 21, 2005, we tried out for the, the team together. And Jared, I don't. You didn't make the team, right? I don't want to bring up a bad. Oh, the last cut. Your last cut. I probably. Sh- I I sucked in in. I sucked in training camp, so I probably shouldn't even have been on the team. But I made the team. Uh, but he's been the same. He's been the same. I've known the guy sixteen years. He's been the same. Uh, while we have some time, I want to I want to touch on, uh, Greg, your your experience over the last year. Um, but really just kind of go back to to last May, June, last summer. Um, U.S. Bank, as you mentioned, is is based in Minneapolis. And 
you talked earlier about sort of uh, coming together as a nation and inclusion, but one could argue that right now, at least over the past year, maybe the past four or five years, we are as divided a nation as we've been in some time. Uh, certainly, it feels like in my adult life. Um, can you just describe sort of what Minneapolis was like? I mean, we, I was in New York for most of those protests, and then we went to the bubble. Jared and I were in the bubble. I went to a couple nonviolent protests, but it, from from the outside perspective and turning on CNN every night, it it looked like a, a war zone. You know, it was difficult um, because I, you know, JJ, I not only work in Minneapolis, but I actually live in the city as well. So I, I live, work, and play in downtown Minneapolis. Um, and so... You know, it was tough because, you know, you did see, you know, this heightened um, sense of, um, um, you know, whether it's police presence or security presence that um, was a little bit disturbing and businesses were being boarded up for for obvious reasons. And so it was really difficult for a city that, you know, has in so many ways been a city that has prospered, but only prospered for some. And Minneapolis, like many cities, was the tale of two cities, um, that there was prosperity happening, but that prosperity wasn't um, being shared by, by all communities. And so, but what I think has been encouraging, though, man, is just how all the communities have now started to rally together. And I do agree with you that I think our country is probably more divided than it has ever been, but I sense a, a sense of hope and healing happening um, because so many um, communities like the business community are starting to rally. You know, what was different about the protest is that it was a multiracial, multicolored, you know, I think people were just tired of the, the nonsense. And we have a tendency to really romanticize history in this country. And the truth of the matter is our history is very complicated and it's very nuanced. And I think people were sort of coming to terms with you know, that there's actually, you have to look at history um, through a sense of truth. And like, like the only way for us to move forward is to really understand where we came from and analyze it with a great deal of truth. And I think there are enough of us now that really want to see things get better. And I think Minneapolis is at the forefront. And I think Minneapolis is going to be an example of a city that went through a really, really difficult time, but came out of it as a much better place and actually a shining example of what the potential um, we have as a as a country, Craig. Are there are there tangible actions, maybe even for our you know our listeners or viewers of uh, on YouTube of the show? Anything? Are there tangible actions in twenty twenty one that you recommend or that you know the bank recommends or whatever it is that pe- you know people are uh, looking to help potentially, and they're you know sometimes they don't know the best way to do that. And so, are there things that you recommend? Yeah, I think always you know first starting with you know what is it that you want to see change? I think it has to, you know, Tommy, start with like, what is the problem that you really want to to see get better? And, but everything from, I I think one of the most critical things we have to do is help these small businesses get back open. I think we've got to get people back to work. When I talked about the, you know, the things that like the, uh, the, the social determinants of well-being, you know, it starts with what you do every day. It starts with what do you do to earn a living for your family so you can provide safe safety. And I think getting these small businesses back open, Tommy, and supporting small businesses helps put people back to work. It helps, you know, communities sort of become more vibrant again. And I think we've got to get back to supporting and shopping small and, and supporting these small businesses in your community. So think about your community and how do we help these small businesses thrive again? Well, JJ, we should probably shout out Drew and Lauren Holiday um, and some of the work that they've done. A you know a, a, a frequent friend of the show, guest of the show, uh, Drew Holiday and his wife Lauren have spent. Uh, we, we've talked about it on the show, JJ. You, do you, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, but they have they have spent uh, basically most of the last year pumping up, helping out different black and small businesses, that. and they've. Given, yeah. I think at this point, you know, he donated his whole salary from yeah. uh, the bubble last year, and they've they've taken it. Uh, they've taken it to the next step this year, and it's really uh, to your point. To your point, Greg, it's just it is. It feels like that is a thing that really affects you know the day to day life of people in our community is helping these businesses stay open. A and then once they're open, you know, thrive. I mean, one of my favorite one of my favorite sayings from a former president was like, 
the best social program is a job. It's like that simple. <laughs> it's that simple. It's like a t-shirt. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the exact number, but I know in the notes that, that, uh, you guys sent over to us, um, there's something like the, the the lack of participation, really the lack of access to opportunity. Let's call it what it is. But the lack of access to opportunity, the lack of participation, um, you know, it's costing the GDP four. I think it was four to six percent of growth per year. Um, yes. And when you think about it, goes back to what I said at the very beginning. What your quote was at the very beginning. Uh, you know, if we can create opportunity for for everyone, it benefits everyone. Yeah. $1.2 trillion is where that wealth gap stands right now. And if you close that gap, um, the study that you referenced, JJ, says that it would add anywhere from 4 to 6% GDP growth for the U.S. economy as a whole. We all benefit from that. Um, so these disparities hurt all of us. So While, while we have you, Jared, uh, I know you were his t- teammate uh, with me in L.A. with the Clippers. Uh, we got to talk about CP. Yeah, uh, because I think he's such an anomaly. I, the only comp I could come up with is John Stockton, uh, but no one. And John's bigger than than Chris, uh, but no one uh, at his size has been able to play at an All NBA level well into his mid. Now, you know he's on the wrong side of thirty five, so we'll call it his late late thirties. Uh, and what he's done specifically in this playoff run. Uh, has been nothing short of incredible. Um, what what makes him great? How would you're 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 so eloquent with your words and your description? Like what makes him great? That's a I, that's a great question. The 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 short period of time I had him with, and now following him his last couple of years is, it's the gift and the curse where his competitive edge of like doing whatever is necessary of that game to be able to win that game. And I don't care who it affects, his friends, his teammates, ex-teammates on the floor, and it rubs people the wrong way. Because let's just be honest, as much as Chris Paul being the president, as much as him being a Hall of Famer, that, I mean, he, I would say he's largely disliked the wrong, his, his peers at times. You know, I've had, I've had some different, you know, uh, pros and cons with CP and stuff like that. I respect CP, first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm actually rooting for him to get a ring and stuff like that. Totally understand it. Uh, but what makes him special is his he hates to lose. And that's and people say it really, he hates to lose more than he likes to win. And he will do anything when it's messing with the refs, if it's flaring, flopping, whatever he needs to do that day to get under your skin. If he did when we when we played him, he didn't have a shoulder, he's out there. He's whatever he can, little thing he can do to help his team wins. And it's it made him have a Hall of Fame career. It's made him be able to have a chance to win a championship. And I, I salute him because no one thought at this age he'd be an all NBA caliber player. He was an all star this year and he has a chance. And I think what Vegas has him, the favorite to win the finals MVP. It's phenomenal, man, at 30, getting ready to be 36. That competitiveness extends to every aspect of his life. I mean, we had some amazing card games on the Come plane on, with the Clippers. He'll, he'll like, you cry, cry, baby, when he loses. It. It's on. unbelievable. Golf, cards, anything. Yes. Like, and and like, it's it extends to what he does off the court. Like, oh, so and so has a has a headphones deal. Well, I got to go get a headphone deal. I like, know that CP. Whatever you got, he got plus two. We all know have that. You, Jared, have you ever have you ever made your own uh, margarita? You know, squeeze the lime. You ever squeeze the lime before? Once or twice. Once or twice. Yeah, okay, once or twice. Right. Or you know, you juiced an orange. Whatever it may be. Uh, this is how Jamal Crawford describes CP, and I think it's the most apt description. <laughs> is that CP squeezes the juice out of every possession and every game. Like whatever that if the juice is the edge, he's squee he's squeezing that orange and he's he's extracting every last drop of edge that he can get. And he does it every game. And that's what's kind of impressive to me is like the guy has not let up. He is he's the same dude now as he was when he was 24 or 25. I agree. And he's found it like his niche so much now that he's got a young bull and Booker. He pick and chooses his spots and then fourth quarters take over time, right? He can do his thing here, Aiden here, chill, chill, chill. And and that's what I was talking to Brian about. Like, like that's eventually want to transition to him and to be able to get another extra three, four years. Get about AD, let him coach. And then fourth quarter, CP's not missing no mid-range shot. Like, his play, I mean, man, he's earned it. He's earned the right to be able to get it, and, and we'll see, man. But you're right that that whole little squeeze, the thing. I mean, 
his competitive. I, I haven't seen I haven't seen anything like it. I mean, I've seen people hate to lose, but to him and to that extreme, man, it, it's it's the gift and the curse. Jared, Jared, on the on the flip side of this, because you you're in a very unique spot, you know, where you've obviously played with everybody, but you've been teammates with a lot of the you know best players in the league with young yep. Giannis, young Giannis, and young Devin, yep. uh, because you spent a, you spent a long time around both of them. What did you see back then? What have they, you know, what have they gotten better at? This jump to become, you know, the, the, the two of the best players in the world doesn't happen overnight, you know. So even thinking back to your time with them, what have you really seen? Booker always was super talented, footwork wise, work ethic, had it all in him, had the swagger. Um, became such a better uh, student of the game, of studying film. If you look at his body now, he had now finally has cuts in his body, got serious with his nutrition, of uh, getting IVs, taking care of his body off. Um, in a way, is I think him having a girlfriend has helped him, helped him stay more focused, less out in the nightlife, be able to be focused. And I think with him was his, it was his passing ability that, that was poor. He could shoot the ball. If you, it, the whole uh, big viral video of doubling him and during summertime, you remember when Joakim Noah doubling? Hey, it's the summertime, I'm working up. Nah, like, you're going to be doubled. We, we doubled you. Like, and for him to become a better passer, getting his first triple-double, his just his maturity is just coming in the league so much, Bill, that I knew he's going to be an all-star player, but I just think that he's took the next step of his body. Like if you look at him, man, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal. He's, he's cut this year. He's, he's cut. cut this, he's cut. Yeah. The first thing I saw him, I said, look at his face. I could see his cheekbones. I mean, listen, I didn't know if he had surgery. I didn't mess with the Kardashians. I didn't know if he had surgery or he lost some weight. That's for one. All right. And then <laughs> I, I, I would say Giannis, Giannis, I had him so young. He was just like, you know, the European players, Americans, like he just wanted to learn. Like he didn't care about living in Milwaukee. He, he was at the gym with his brothers at 11 p.m. at night, throwing a football. He just loved it. And um, he, he loved the culture. The thing I would say the difference between them two is Giannis lived in the weight room. Like he, if you look at that picture of his body going from one to another. And with that, if you see it. That's what struggled of his jump shot. Because when I played with Giannis, Giannis was shot like 36 from three. His free throw percentage was higher, but he wasn't as, you know, he obviously was a young boy. He's now become a young man. That weight room, like he's a physical specimen when he's out there on the floor. If you see him, how it is. And that's because he was in that weight room every single day. So he became a man. It's like, hey, listen, I'm going to be the new Shaq. I'm going to be the most dominant player. And so he's took in that. I didn't know he'd be this good. I would be lying to you. I knew he'd be an all-star caliber player. Didn't think he'd be an MVP so soon. Didn't think he'd have a chance to win a championship so soon. And it's a testament to his work ethic because I see him with his brothers. I, I see his mindset. Uh, I credit Jason Kidd of pushing the right but buttons. He suspended him one time. He, he benched him another time. He would bench him every time he shoot a three because he wanted him to get to the basket and not settle. And we're dealing with two beasts and have a champ. I just wish health in a good finals. You played for Jay Kidd uh, in Dallas, you, you or, or in, in Milwaukee, sorry, and you you played for him uh, in L.A. W when he was the associate head coach with Frank. Uh, my, my Mavs just hired him. Where where, where do you think this is going to be uh, for him? Like, is this, is this a good fit? Great fit in the sense of this. Jay Kidd needed to be an assistant for a couple of years because you know how it is. He literally went from being a player that next year went in. He wasn't an assistant coach, and that's very rare in this league. And I don't care, you know, if you play basketball and you know the game. It's a different level of the scouting, of the respect of your assistants and the scout team and coming together. And, and as you know, Greg, as you see, it's a team. I think him and Luca, their relationship is going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to learn a lot of his, of how to react when stuff is not going well. Uh, to you know, it, he thought the world was kind of falling out when Milwaukee when we go on a six six seven game losing streak. He's more confident. He's more. I mean, let's be honest with you. The more you you work on your craft, the more confident you're going to be. And so, um, I think the biggest thing is Nico from Nike getting there. That's his guy. So when you have your your GM. He didn't have to go to ownership. We, we're all going to be all together. Let's all get in the room together. Let's work on it. What, what do we need to be successful to, to put around Luca? Um, one thing I loved about his demeanor, like he, he's not a, a yell, you know, yell guy, get in your face. Like it's Jason Kidd, what he says, you're going to respect, but he's a nice demeanor. Like, you know, you know try this. I, I think this might be good. JJ, like, listen, Hey, we know that no one can guard James Harden. I, we don't expect like he, he's going to, he's going to dummy it down. Like, all right guys. And that's one thing I was impressed about Jay Kidd. We were a top three defense in Milwaukee. Like 
you think of Jay Kidd, an offensive guy, but like he doesn't like Jared. I, you don't have to guard Lamarcus Aldridge. I'm gonna send a double. We're gonna get. We're gonna work on every aspect of our defense. His attention to detail was phenomenal, and and that I didn't expect. That's great, uh, Greg, Jared. We really appreciate the time. Um, this has been a, a lot of fun awesome. to chat. Jared, you're you're welcome anytime. Greg, you're also welcome to come back whenever you want. This has been great. This is the new crew. It's been great. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for having me. Let's right, get this thanks. diversity going, Greg. Come on, man. Get these <laughs> Let's do it, Jared. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. I'm all for it.